You are tired of average. You want more out of life. You know you're capable of something greater. This show will help you become resilient in your home, at work, and in your community. Welcome to the Resilient Humans Podcast with your host, Kevin Wood. Welcome back to the Resilient Humans Podcast. And what a fascinating guest I have today. Former Green Beret, intelligence agent, critical care paramedic, outdoor world record holder, and what would be described as a medical marvel. Oh, and by the way, also a venomous snake handler, just to make things a little more interesting. Uh, welcome to the show, Adam Fats. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Man. So I, I read up on your bio. You have quite the story. I do. Yeah. Yep. Definitely do. <laughs> where where in that story would you like to start? Um, I mean, I guess we started in the beginning, probably uh, 2006. All right. Take us there. Where were you? So, what were you doing at the time? Describe the so, scene for us. So I I, uh, I graduated high school in uh, 2006, April, April uh, summer 2006. And uh, I immediately just listed running to the uh, U.S. Army. Um, I left for the I left for Army boot camp in October of actually it was Halloween day of 2006. Got there, and within a month of being there, I started having severe, severe uh, chest pains. Could barely breathe. Uh, a lot of vomiting. It was really bad. So I had seen a doctor on put on base. Um, he told me, you know, nothing's really wrong. Everything's fine. So I got some cough drops, and uh, that, that was basically it. Um, three weeks later, I had come back to New Jersey and I saw a hospital that wasn't affiliated with the military. Uh, and in reality, I actually had two bilaterally collapsed lungs. Um, now I didn't know that because the hospital told me it was pneumonia. Um, and so I had not known any better. And so I went back to the army and I finished 22 weeks of boot camp in that condition. <laughs> so I graduated there from April. When I graduated, I was um, 87 pounds. And I'm six, almost 6'4", six and I was 87 pounds. That's how sick I was. So I graduated there uh, April of 2007, and I went to Hawaii. That was my first ever duty assignment, my, you know, my duty base. And when I got there, within six days of being there, I was actually in a trauma ward uh, because I had an infection in my arm that turned out to be what I thought was just like an ingrown hair, you know, 18 year old, uh, teenage acne thing, but it actually turned out to be uh, quite a major issue. And it was actually six gram positive MRSA, which means there's six different drug resistant staph infections in one infection. Um, it was so, the, the infection was so severe that I actually had to update my, uh, soldier's life insurance in the hospital just in case I didn't survive it. And the hospital had contacted my mom back home in New Jersey, and they were working with the American Red Cross um, to try to get her to, to Hawaii and in, for an emergency. Now, they didn't know if I was going to survive it. And then the best case scenario at the time was that I was probably going to have my entire right arm amputated because the infection went all the way to my fingertips and up to my collarbone. Uh, and it did, it, it did invade the bone. So they didn't really know what was going to happen, but I got discharged the following morning and uh, I had to take care of it myself. So that probably was this, at the overall start of everything that has since gone on. <laughs> um, so you're pretty yeah. young at that time. Like that, you said you're 18 at the time. 18. Yep. 
I'm looking back at when I was 18 and I definitely wouldn't have the, a resilient type of mindset to just like push through. So, yeah, but that didn't stop you because you obviously continued forward in your, in your military career. Yep. So keep going. What's next? Yeah. So I, uh, so I ended up deploying to Iraq, um, 2008 was my first deployment. I got injured while I was there. Um, ended up taking a uh, gunshot wound to the back, uh, AK 47 to be exact. <laughs> um, survived that didn't come home for any, you know, length of, of time. I wanted to go back. So I stayed, uh, came home and then I ended up going to, uh, the, uh, special forces selection and qualification course, um, passed it my first try, became a green beret. And then that was kind of when the real chaos all started. Um, you know, the, the rapid back to back deployments, the, you know, the specialty schools, the, you know, military free fall school and dive, dive qualification school, like you see on TV with the Navy SEALs, you know, all that stuff. So that was, that was tough. Um, but I, I actually, believe it or not, as silly as it sounds for, you know, some of these guys maybe listening, you know, this Green Beret talking about his boot camp days. I just used to think back on times of when I didn't realize that I had been running probably a hundred to 150 miles a week in boot camp with two collapsed lungs. I think because I didn't know it. And so I just kept, it didn't really affect me um, because I didn't know any better. I thought that it was supposed to feel that way because I'm out of shape. Right. You know, but I didn't know at the time what was actually going on that I was basically fighting for my life and I had no idea. So, um, so yeah, I did, uh, I did a couple more deployments uh, with first special forces group. Um, ended up contracting a very rare parasitic infection from a sand fly, which is life threatening. Uh, it's called leishmaniasis, and it took almost 14 years for somebody to figure out what it was. So this is a disease I had. It I had it's called cutaneous, which means that it, it basically eats away your skin, uh, and then visceral, which is a uh, the um, deadly one. It's a fatal one if left untreated. And I had it for 13 years, almost 14 years. <laughs> So I don't know how, but you, most people die within a, like a year if they don't treat it. So a little stroke of luck, I'd say. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you, with these multiple deployments, like I, I have friends that have gone through the same, same training, the, you know, mm -hmm. either green berets or uh recon Marines and whatnot. That's, that's not easy for the fittest people to get through. And I'm sure you saw as you were going through it, people that on the outside or based mm -hmm. on their appearance, you would think, man, they're a beast and they yeah. were probably dropping like flies. What helped you to push through? A little bit of arrogance, to be honest with you. All right. Um, it was, it, I had excelled very quickly in the military. Um, I'd become a sergeant within, uh, I think it was 21 months in the army. I was already a sergeant. You know, I got, I got a special promotion by a general on base. Um, I went to the, you know, the, the, the warrior leadership school and I graduated on the commandant's list, the president's list. So I was, I was doing very good. Um, and a little bit of that was, I was, I was this like kind of skinny kid, you know, who, was in a, you know in a group of people because I didn't really prepare for like selection at all. Um, I didn't run at all. I didn't train. And I, I didn't do anything. I just kind of went there because I, I wanted to get out of where I was so desperately, and I knew that was a good option. 
So I just went there um, completely out of shape. And I knew going there that one of the biggest things they're going to look for is not your ability to keep doing massive amounts of push-ups, things like that. It's your, it's how far are you willing to push yourself until you finally just give up. And with me, that's one of those things where if somebody tells me I'm not going to do something or I can't do it, then I, that's the opposite. I do the opposite. It is every in, in every aspect. <laughs> and that's their only job there is to make you quit. That's it. That's yep. it. To assess yeah. you and try to get you to leave. Yep. Hundred yep. percent. Yeah, we. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with GoRuck, but it just. Uh, yeah. They do a GoRuck selection, and that just happened okay. this past weekend. Oftentimes, it's called a black class where nobody nobody passes. Yeah. And yeah. this year, uh, I don't know what number they're on. Eighteen, I think. Um, it's the second time ever where there was a sole uh, finisher who was female. Wow. Good for her. Absolutely crushed it the entire time. Failed it last year. Didn't even make it to the 24 hour mark. Mm -hmm. And this year finished the whole thing. She's like, last year I did it for me. This year I did it to prove to everybody else that it's possible. Like that's a deep why you have to have that, that deep ingrained reason to, to keep going. So you go there with like little to no reason, then there's little to no reason to stay and anything can break you and make you quit. Right. Yeah. And a, a big part of it too was, um, I had, I remember it was probably seventh or eighth grade. We had to do an assignment on our, uh, like our, what we want to be when we grow up. Um, now I'd been in like, you know, all these like military programs growing up as a kid, you know, the air force auxiliary, the civil air patrol. I don't know if you guys are. Yeah. So I yeah, did the yeah, whole civil air yeah. patrol thing. Yeah. Yep. And so I already knew where my I was destined the second I left high school. You know, I mean, everybody basically in my town knew where I was, I was going, you know. Um, unfortunately, I didn't score high enough on the test for the Air Force, which was my original plan. So mm-hmm. I went Army, which was the next best option in my opinion. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I, I had, you know, I kind of already went in with the intent of, and so going back, I knew I was going to be a soldier, but I specifically found something. When I came home and I was getting ready to transition to Fort Bragg for selection, um, my mom had found a paper that I wrote. And it's like, you know, seventh or eighth grade about what I want to be when I grow up. And the paper was probably one of the best, you know, cited thing you essay you'll ever see from a kid. And it was all about uh, the Special Forces Weapons Sergeants, 18 Bravos. And I now I think back on it and I didn't even realize it at the time, but I was basically writing my future. And that's what I ended up becoming was an 18 Bravo. Yeah. So I had no that's idea, impressive. but yes, yeah, so I was basically, it was something that was just embedded in me. It was just what I wanted to do. You know, it, I didn't think of it as, oh, I want to just be a cool guy with the green beret and the special forces long time. It's not like that. You know, a lot of guys, that's why they're there, but that wasn't it for me. Uh, a lot of it was, I want to see how far it can go. So it's like, it was ingrained in you. And there was nothing that was going to stop you from, from attaining that goal. Exactly. We call that, I call that paying the full price. You're willing mm-hmm. to pay the full price no matter what. Absolutely. The people are not, they're only willing to pay yep. half the price or a quarter of the yep. price or just a, fr- a fraction. Right. Yep. Um, anything other in anything else in your um, military career that you'd like to highlight? Cause I know you've done some, some pretty remarkable things. And I know some stuff is top secret, which can't be said. So I understand <laughs> yeah. the, the confidentiality um, aspect. So, yeah, I mean, there was a, there was a, a mission that we had gone out on uh, with a SEAL team to rescue some hostages that were being held by uh, pirates. 
And uh, we jumped out of the plane. It was a, it was a nighttime jump, Halo, uh, high altitude, low opening. And I broke both my tibias when I landed. And we had maybe, I don't know, probably a good three miles to go in darkness until we found, got to the people. So I just, I had two broken, you know, shin, shin bones and went three miles with broken legs. Um, and then ran back with the hostages afterwards, another three miles. Yeah. But that was the thing too. It's like going back to that, uh, what you just said. I didn't realize what was going on. I just knew it hurt, but I didn't think it was anything severe. Right. You know, because it, I'm a firm believer in, in that your mind, and I used to say this to my, you know, my now ex all the time, that your mind can make you do anything you, it can make you do something you never thought was possible. You know, and what I mean by that is if you start thinking, the second one little thought slips in your head of, man, I don't know if I can do this, it's, it, you're, you're in trouble. Because yep. now you're going to start thinking that. And that's when you're going to start realizing that it hurts. <laughs> you know, um, so I just really just don't think like that. Um, I like to be in situations where other people would think it's crazy. You know, that's where I, I, I strive and kind of persevere there, which is how I got into the venomous snake thing. Um, because I, I don't, I, I like when people tell me I can't do something or you shouldn't do something because that fuels me to do the complete opposite. And it's the, it gives me this drive of, you're not going to tell me I can't do it. You know, I, I feel, I feel you on that. Because yeah. my my 15 year CrossFit affiliate would not exist if somebody told me that I couldn't do it. He didn't yep. believe in me. I was like, "Well, I'm going to show you," yep. and then I did it. So yeah, exactly, yep. yeah, man, I definitely get that. When have you have you read or heard Mark Devine's uh, "The Way of the Seal"? I have not, but I do believe you told me about it. Um, he in one of the chapters is called the 20x factor. And in it, he says, we are capable of 20 times more than what we think we're capable of. Mm-hmm. And basically all the stories that you've described so far are that you're representing that concept in reality. So it shows that there are like, there are stories out there of people lifting cars off their kids. Yeah. Like damn right. You can do that. Yep. We have all these self-imposed limiting beliefs that we have that as soon as you think you can't, you're right. Mm-hmm. That's, That's right. <laughs> yep. So how how do you going forward? Obviously, you're not still uh, active duty. No. How do you carry that forward or help by inspiring others to get rid of that I can't mindset? So th- this is this is a unique one, um, and the reason it's unique for me is because I have such drastic, chronic, long term health conditions. Uh, because of the military, you know, one of them being a lung disease known as pulmonary fibrosis. Um, and that actually was discovered in 2018 when I had my left lung taken out. Um, now that that wasn't planned, the belief was that I had cancer and we were supposed to just do a biopsy. <laughs> but uh, when I woke up five hours later, you know, to my my happy my, my happy ex-wife now, um, it's not cancer, it's not cancer, but they took your lung out. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Why, why did they do that? <laughs> um, what a way to wake up. Yeah, but you know, for the first time, I didn't feel any discomfort when I took a breath, which was very nice. Yeah. Very, very nice. Because every time I'd breathe, it felt like I was being you know, a hot knife going into my ribs. And it was bad. So I was actually relieved. <laughs> um, so 
I'm a little unique in the situation because I try to inspire the people with with the disease. Um, now, for your listeners who don't know, pulmonary fibrosis is not very well understood. There's a lot. Nobody really knows how it starts. There's a few different reasons. We know it can start autoimmune, environmental, a drug-induced type. Um, so what it is, is pulmonary fibrosis, pulmonary meaning your lung, and then fibrosis meaning scar tissue. It's when scar tissue forms in, out, you know, around your lungs. Um, it's a progressive disease, meaning it's going to spread over time. There's a general life expectancy of three to five years by the time you get diagnosed, because usually when you're diagnosed, it's kind of already, it's already progressed to some certain point. There's no treatment for it. Um, there's medications that are on the market to try and stop the spread of the scar tissue, but a lot of people can't afford them or, and I've tried them. The side effects are absolutely horrific. Um, then, you know, they're about $40,000 a month, which is another problem for people. Um, but so I'm, I'm unique in that aspect to where we, I know I've, we've, I've had this disease. We know 100% since 2011, because we look back at some CTs I had of like my abdomen and you can actually see the disease in the lower lungs and nobody said anything about it. So it kind of went unnoticed. Um, so at that point I was working for the intelligence agency. Uh, it was December of 2018. And it's funny because I have the pictures. I remember posting on something on my social media because I was, I was really irritated because I had tried so many times to, do for somebody to do a chest CT and they never, nobody would ever do it. Um, and so I made the promise to where I was never going to let this happen to anybody ever again. It did, I didn't care what I had to do and it, it got bad. Um, I typed up, I think I spent probably four, you know, three nights and four consecutive days. I don't think I got out of my desk and I typed up something, what I called the fats doctrine. Um, and it was basically 45 pages of me trying to be a politician and introduce a bill that I want somebody to sign into law that says, you know, burn pits. Um, it should be a presumptive condition for veterans if you were exposed, you know, meaning that it's an automatic health care qualifier, things of that nature. Um, but then I also included in there some Vietnam veteran stuff because I know those guys in the United States, they go, they, they kind of go through it, you know, with trying to get health care. And a lot of their like Agent Orange claims are denied. And so I put that in there, too. And uh, it was a journey. Uh, so that was December of 2018. And that got signed into law by President Biden uh, this year, earlier this year. Nice. And that became, Congrats. it went from, yeah, so thank you. It went from the FATS doctrine to the VA PACT Act. Um, but it was it was rough. Uh, it was rough. Um, I ended up separating myself from the intelligence agency about two years after I, I introduced the bill. Um. And it was pretty hard for a while. Uh, definitely, they definitely let me know that uh, they weren't happy with me. Uh, and my wife was also a victim of that at times. Um, so, yeah, it was tough. And then so, but I fought back. Um, I called, you know, Howard Stern, tried to get him involved. And I, I just basically looked for any people who I know will be loud and annoying. And John Stewart became the one. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, well, I remember so, him, him with the 9 11 commission. He That's exactly why I went to him. that too. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. So I actually met John one time, my pulmonologist in New York city. Um, she's the doctor who actually created that world trade center healthcare program. Um, and John Stewart would go to Mount Sinai hospital here and there. And I actually ran into him one day. We took a picture. Um, and so I kind of had like this common ground when I re tried to reach back out to him, but I never contacted a celebrity. I don't know how to get a hold of those guys. 
<laughs> you know, so I just kind of started putting out my feelers because I knew he lived in uh, New York City. Uh, so I had a few of my friends that are on like the FDNY try to keep an eye out or if they knew anybody, et cetera, et cetera. So, so he said, so he ended up getting involved and that, uh, yeah, that became something drastic. Became something drastic. Awesome. Yeah. Really good, yep. man. And we also have a, a mutual friend, uh, here in Moncton, uh, Jill, who's been working yep. with you mm-hmm. to accomplish something pretty remarkable and it's sh- correct me if I'm wrong. The first person in history to do so. That's correct. <laughs> yep. Give yeah. us, give us the deets. Tell us everything. Um, so on January 1st, I fly out in New Jersey, um, and I'm heading for Africa, specifically Tanzania, um, to attempt not, I don't want to say attempt because I'm going to do, it. I know I'll make it, um, uh, but to summit, uh, Mount Kilimanjaro, um, a lot of people I think have heard, and I'm just, I'm guilty of this myself because when I, when I, last year, when I told everybody I was going to do this and, you know, fundraise for stuff, I really didn't realize what I was actually getting myself into at the time mm-hmm. because I didn't, I didn't do any kind of research. I wasn't prepared physically. Um, it, it's a lot worse than I, I thought. I just figured, you know, it's this mountain, like you don't need ropes and ladders because it's not technical. Um, but it, I didn't know at the time that it's the world's tallest freestanding mountain. Um, and it's one of the seven summits. So it's one of the tallest seven mountains on the planet. You know, one of those is Mount Everest, you know, obviously. And uh, yes, yeah, so I didn't realize all that at the time. Uh, but what I knew was that I had done a mountain in New York State, uh, Mount Marcy. I did that in December of 2021. And I, you know, it was, it was nothing crazy. Um, it was about a 25 hour day between the driving, the hike and you know, it's, uh, I forget exactly. I think it was 31 miles round trip, 6,000 feet elevation, but it was the five hour drive each way. That was terrible. Mm. Um, and I wanted to do that kind of to see if I could do, if I could, if I could even do it. Um, but then I also said, Hey, you know what, why don't I try to raise a couple of bucks for the pulmonary fibrosis foundation? Well, that couple of bucks turned into, uh, it was $141,000 within 10 months. Wow. Yeah, so then I'm 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 very act, like I'm a very hyperactive kind of guy. Um, I always have to be doing something. I need to be busy, and for me to stay busy, I like to push my limits. That's my kind of you know enjoyment. Uh, and so I was like, all right, well, you know what, Mount Marcy, it was this successful. You know, I was in like magazines and stuff. It was crazy. I said, all right, what's the next hardest thing I can do? And I I, I wound up on Mount Kilimanjaro. Um. <laughs> So yeah, if I do it when I do it, uh, I'm going to be on the mountain for nine days, uh, start to finish. It's going to take nine days, um, and if when I do do it, I will be the first person in the world with pulmonary fibrosis to ever do it. Nope. Remarkable. Yeah. Thank you. So not just nine days. Obviously, oxygen is one of the main concerns. Yes, definitely. And so. Air packs, oxygen tanks had to be carried so or brought so I, with you. So we're gonna have we uh, we'll have emergency oxygen yep. available, um, but I don't plan on using any supplemental oxygen on there. Okay. Um, with that being said, what are you doing as training precautions building up to this? Yeah, so training is unique. Um, Jill is uh, kind of kicking my ass here with these training. Um. I have another trainer that I meet with in person in Jersey. We do the hypocapnia machine there, um, you know, core strengthening, stuff like that. And that's not, that's fine for me. Um, 
I, I did lose over, I think, 150 pounds in a year. I got off some medications that were causing some problems and started working out. Um, but the, it's the breathing that's the problem. And I knew that would be a problem. I just didn't realize how bad it was going to be at first. Um, because, and, you know, now I'm working with one lung that has, I'm going to say maybe only three-fourths of it is actually working. So I only have three-fourths of a normal, you know, human respiratory system. You know, and so people, I tell that to people, and they're like, you know, okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, like, there's no way. There's no way you're like that. And I'm like, all right, well, that's fine. But um, so my trainer here, Jan, Dr. Kasperwitz, he had reached out to Jill. I guess they knew each other somehow. And then uh, Jill had reached out to me. He was like, listen, man, I got to help you out with this. So I had bought in the uh, the device, um, the, the bag the, with the mouthpiece. And then we started kind of working together. And at first, he was pretty shocked to see that. I'm not like a, you know, a shallow breather that I can, I actually know how to chest breathe. Um, but there was one issue. I did a VO2 max when I first started with these guys. And I think it was like, I scored like a 28. It was bad. Pretty low. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, real bad. Um, I started developing shin splints probably within the first 90 seconds of the test. And by like minute five, I just couldn't be walking more. It felt like my legs were broken. So I just had to stop. But uh, I, I don't know why I did so terribly. I really don't. Um, nerves were probably a little bit of it because I didn't really know what was going on. Um, so, that, so obviously I got teased a little bit, you know. Um, so I went from it's been let say I think sixteen weeks it's been since I've been working with Jill every day, uh, doing the bag and the breathing exercises, the breath holds. Um, mm-hmm. And I think yeah, it's been around sixteen weeks, and I actually went. My VO2 max went from a 28 up to, uh, I think it was a 49.8 in 16 moving weeks, up, moving up, which is yeah. right at the, yeah, that's at the superior level of yeah. fitness. Um, but I actually, the coolest thing about that too is, is that during this time, I actually went for a pulmonary function test uh, for, I had surgery that was, I had to go for. And, the, you know, the medical clearance, I had to do a chest CT. Um, didn't show anything remarkable. Everything we kind of already knew. But I ended up gaining... 1.37 liters of lung volume and this was back in july so we're talking about maybe 10 9 10 weeks time frame and my pulmonary function test was almost no, was almost perfectly normal it was actually the results of my 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 actual lung study were better than some healthy people with two lungs believe it or not and i don't know how nobody knows how well that just shows the resilience of the human body absolutely it can go through a lot and you have been through a lot mm-hmm. and yet are still here, still crushing goals, still setting future goals and working towards yep. them. So obviously that speaks a lot. Um, I asked all my guests this. Um, I'd love to hear what your definition of resiliency is. How would you describe it? I think there's two different types. Uh, I think there's people who can walk, you know, miles on, on with blisters on their feet because they have to, they feel like they have to do it. Um, I think somebody that's resilient is somebody who can take themselves, you know, this, I'm going to use me, for example, this, this war fighting, specially trained guy who knows violence very well, you know, an expert at it. Um, and, but I can also, I can snap out of that position and be a victim for myself. I can feel bad for myself and I don't have to be, this this big tough guy all the time um i i can show vulnerability 
and tell somebody it's okay. And listen, man, like this is what I'm going through. Um, so I think somebody that's resilient is someone that is honest with themselves and is willing to sacrifice themselves for the good of a greater thing. I like that you brought up the word vulnerability and, you know, honest with yourself. That's I'm hearing that more and more. Um, if I would have asked people this question, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, it, the answers were, would be more likely than not tough grit, mm-hmm. you know, nose to the grindstone, stuff like that. And I'm, I keep hearing more and more this vulnerability and honesty and stuff like that, which is, I love to see that shift because it means that you don't have to be tough as nails to be resilient. And I think that's true. Yeah. And in fact, uh, I was that guy. Um, I was that guy that you couldn't tell me to do something a certain way. Um, I believe it was my way or no way. Um, My way was always better than the other way of other people. Uh, Until I got told that I have a disease that might kill me in no time. That was kind of when I realized like I have a problem here. Um, and I can't be this guy. And what really actually snapped me out of that was, um, I had gone for chemo, not for uh, cancer, but it was actually related to something else. And I did a 28 day chemo cycle and I met a little boy there who had a, a grade four glioblastoma, which is a, it's a, it's a guaranteed death sentence. Uh, but little Tim, he was six years old and he was basically like the only person I talked to there. And that little boy ended up teaching me so much about life that i just so simply overlook you know i that you know the saying the grass is greener on the other side you know i i really just needed to stop being like this i know what i'm capable of uh, a lot of people that know me know what i'm capable of um but i was hiding this inner demon of just screaming for help uh and, and ultimately all i was doing was making my life hell you know, I was so unhappy. My marriage was falling apart. I didn't talk to my family. Uh, it was no good. It was no good. And so, like, I put on this big persona, you know, of, like, this this hard guy that, you know, I, I'm not worried about my health. But I was dying inside, you know. I, I was absolutely dying. Um, I wanted every ass, like, in every fiber of my body, I wanted my wife to call my doctor and say, listen, I don't think my husband's doing good. You know, but I didn't want to say that because I was scared to um so true resiliency to me is somebody that can be scared and say listen i need i need this help whether it be i don't know whatever it's for you know a mechanic who can't figure out his car problem you know uh, everybody needs a helping hand for sure um and it took me and unfortunately it, it took my divorce or my marriage ending a divorce before i realized that you know so i, I learned the uh the hard way of you can be as tough as you want you know, but toughness is not resiliency, in my opinion. You know, resiliency is is getting out of your comfort zone and doing something that is not comfortable to you. That's that's resilient to me. And that can come in many forms. It doesn't always have to be a physical feat like climbing uh, mm-hmm. a mountain or anything like that. It could yeah. be having a difficult conversation with somebody that you've been putting off for years that needs yep. to happen, right? Absolutely. 100% agree with that. Um. I want to, I want to go back cause I can't get the, the image out of my head of, of you and that six-year-old chatting with each other. What were some of those lessons that he taught you? 
I know you're saying like it's not greener on the other side, like, but um, gotta, what were some of the takeaways from that? He taught me, he, he definitely taught me patience, a lot of patience. Um, because the last thing I've wanted to deal with, you know, back in 2018 when I'd only been out for a couple of years still, was a small child when I was going through and getting chemo, <laughs> you know, and a small child, I didn't know. I, I don't have kids, I, I like kids but that wasn't the time and place for me to have to like be a babysitter per se um it, it, he came right up to me um you know you could tell he was a seasoned veteran there um and he just came up and he introduced himself and he said i have brain cancer and it's probably i'll probably die and i just remember saying like holy crap man you know and then he said what do you have and i felt so dumb i really felt dumb because all i could say was i have a parasitic infection that was, that's why I was there. It was a parasitic infection, you know? Um, so that was a very, that probably was the most humbling experience I've ever had in my life. And it came from it, the most unlikely source. And it gave you perspective. It gave me absolute perspective because I used to, by probably day three, I would actually look forward to going there and I would actually try to schedule uh, my treatment when he was going to be there. You know, because you, I had to go alone. You're not allowed to bring, like, you know, your spouses and adult, things like that. Yeah. Uh, so I would actually look forward to him being there. You know, and then it got to the point to where, like, I'd bring games in with forum and stuff. And, yeah, he really – the kids just taught me a lot. Uh, you want to talk about learning resiliency, hang out with a six-year-old. Yeah, I could not believe it. Um, I really stopped feeling bad for myself when I met him. Um. Like I just, I remember sitting there thinking, like, this kid is basically, he, you know, as sad as it is, he's he's just waiting to meet the Grim Reaper. All this chemo is doing is buying him maybe a little bit of time. Um, he did succumb to it eventually, but uh, he never once lost positivity. He was like this little kindergartner who you would think was in with his friends, you know. And then you got me in there, and I'm covered in head to toe in tattoos and, you know, mean looking guy. And like, I, I'm just like, I'm scared. You know, I'm like, I don't want, I don't, I'm scared of what's going to happen with this. You know, you hear horror stories and then there's Timmy running around. Hi, I'm Timmy, <laughs> you know? Um, so it was uplifting and he actually, he, he taught me a lot. And he made me realize that I have something that I should probably offer to people. And that's the ability to do things that are outside of the norm. And it sounds like a, a killer plot to a movie. Yeah. I know. Or a documentary, yeah. right? That's crazy. Yeah. Um, for our listeners, obviously this is called the resilient humans podcast. What advice do you have to our listeners? What, what practical advice do you have for them to practice resiliency? So for me, I like doing things that aren't repetitious. Um, I believe that that turns you into a stronger person. Uh, I mean, unless, you know, you're training to, uh, uh, I don't know, you're practicing a race car, you know, driving. Then the more you do it, obviously, the better you're going to get. Now, for me, uh, I like, you know, get training to climb Kilimanjaro. And uh, Gio can tell you, I get bored real quick with the breathing exercises. Uh, I know they're necessary, but I just get bored with them. They start to get a little easy. And then I'm like, Gio, can we up it? So now I'm doing you know, five minute long exercises where, you know, three weeks ago, it was a minute. Um, and that, I think that that's a good way to boost your resiliency. 
is by doing different things uh, with the same with the same goal in mind, because it snaps you out of your comfort a little bit. You know, instead of running a mile, uh, do a mile and a half, but change the route. You know, mm. get a different, get some different scenery. Uh, I think that you know, doing things like that makes a you know certain tasks a lot more enjoyable, for sure. Um, but then the other thing too is that the listener, I think that nobody should ever stop learning. Um, the day you think, you know, everything is the day that you're going to lose probably every person close to you in life. Um, never stop learning. Don't ever stop learning. I mean, I, I don't really watch TV. I'm not a super big reader because I'm too a little too hyper. Um, but I constantly, I'm listening to podcasts that people get in my car and they're like, dude, what is this? Like, I don't, I don't care about like how, you know, micro particles are measured in sand. <laughs> and I don't find it interesting. It's just that it catches my attention and yeah. I, you know, so become well-rounded. Um, don't just focus on one thing at all. Don't, you know, you can have your goal, but don't, don't turn it into an obsession. Um, but for me, I like to do something with the thought in mind that I'm doing this this way or that way. Because I know there's somebody out there who is like me that will maybe one day, you know, hear about me and reach out, you know, just say, oh, man, like, hey, you know, can you help me out with this? And of course, you know, That's awesome. Yeah. Adam, this has been a very uh, awesome and unique conversation. Is there anything yeah. else that you'd like to chat about before we uh, sign off here? Um. Yeah. So I guess just for the, uh, the Mount Kilimanjaro thing, that is a that is a fundraiser. Um, I am going to not get a single penny of that. Um, I'm paying this trip completely out of pocket. Um, but that fundraiser is going to benefit, um, the pulmonary fibrosis foundation, which is the world's largest foundation for the disease. And it happens to be in the United States, but it also shares with, with Canada. Um, so they're the, they're the Canadian and American organization. Um, but then also I'm also going to raise money for the, it's action for pulmonary fibrosis, which covers the United Kingdom, Scotland, Ireland, that area. Uh, and then just recently, as of today, as a matter of fact, um, I got published in New Zealand, one of their you know magazines out there, um, because I'm fu also fundraising for New Zealand and Australia. Um, because I want to try to make as big of an impact as possible. And I don't want it to just go somewhere, just one place, you know, um, because I don't want to fill anybody's pockets, basically. Right. You know, I want to make sure it's, it's actually, and I'm in control of the money this time where the last time I wasn't in control of the donations, but this time I am. Um, and so at the end of the fundraiser, there's going to be one third distribution to each fund, each organization of equal amount. So awesome. um, I can provide you with that link. And if anybody wants to read, there's more about my story on there and make a donation. You know, 100%. I'll put that link in the show notes. So if anybody wants to click through and, and make that donation, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, great conversation. Thanks for yep. coming on. I appreciate you and I appreciate what you're doing for um you know people that want to be better. I think you're a great example yep. of that. And right. uh what an inspiring story. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, and thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest episodes, be sure to subscribe. And I'll see you next time.